Our scripture again this morning comes to us from the book of Hebrews. Uh, we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then moving to chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Uh, this morning we're beginning a new series together on the book of Hebrews um, called Once and for All. And um, we are going to explore what this strange little book in the Bible that no one can quite classify exactly what it is or who wrote it and, <laughs> and for who. Um, we're going to be looking at what this strange little book has to teach us about who we are, what our place in the universe is, and what Jesus Christ has to do with it all. Uh, so uh, Hebrews chapter 1, 1 through 4, and then chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Hear now the word of our Lord. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? a son of man, that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters, and the assembly I will sing your praises. This is the word of God. May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of his Holy Spirit. Amen. As a family, we've been watching more movies during the pandemic. Recently, we rewatched The Lion King. Not the weird CGI remake that came out a couple of years ago, but the original animated version. There's an amazing scene in the movie that I'd forgotten about. It comes about midway through. Simba has left Pride Rock and he's living a carefree lifestyle with his new pals Timon and Pumbaa. One night, the three of them are lying on their backs looking at the stars. Pumbaa says, 
Timon, do you ever wonder what those twinkling things are up there? And Timon confidently asserts that the stars are fireflies that got stuck up on that big blue-black thing up there. Gee, says Pumbaa, I always thought they were giant balls of gas billions of miles away. Timon says, Pumbaa, you think everything's gas. Now Simba speaks up and says that he had been taught that those great lights were all the kings of the past looking down on them. Everyone laughs. That answer seemed equally as absurd as Pumbaa's gas theory. That scene is surprisingly philosophical for a Disney movie. See, it gets at that most ancient question which has defined human beings throughout our history. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. People at various times have answered this question in various ways. Though Pumbaa's ball of gas theory is widely held today, not too long ago, people looked up at the stars and saw the souls of their ancestors, or the various gods in their pantheon, or mysterious bright orbs that controlled seasons and fate. When the ancient Hebrews looked up at the stars, they saw angels. They called them the Sabaoth, the hosts of heaven. Lying on their backs at night, they could see millions of them, an army of angels standing in their positions awaiting God's orders. And God was just on the other side of the night sky, ready to give those orders. Now, I'm talking here about the ancient Hebrews, those recently liberated band of nomadic tribes who formed their own nation in the land of Canaan. So we forget that the Hebrew Bible, what we Christians call the Old Testament, was written over a period of a thousand years. Those earliest writings by the ancient Hebrews talk about God in a very different way than the writings that came a millennia later. The ancient Hebrews described a God that was very close, just on the other side of a thin dome above the earth called sky, in a realm called heaven. For the Hebrews, heaven wasn't some faraway abstract concept. Heaven was close. Heaven was so close that Jacob saw a staircase in a dream the angels used to get back and forth between heaven and earth was so close that when it rained or snowed, it was because those same angels were opening doors in the sky and letting the stuff out. Heaven was so close that Hebrews built altars on the top of mountains because they believed that the tops of mountains were halfway between earth and heaven. Mountains were where people were known to encounter God face to face. When you were up there, you were near enough to God that he could hear you. Smell your sacrifice. He might even speak to you there. One of the oldest Hebrew names for God was El Shaddai, God of the heights or God of the mountains. Not that God stayed on the mountain. In these early parts of the Bible, God could show up anywhere at any time. In fact, he used to live down here with us in a garden he planted with his own hands but we've since parted ways, but we occasionally run into him. See, 
You could be entertaining strangers in your home like Abraham and suddenly look up and discover that you were talking to God all along. Or like Jacob, you could be wrestling with a stranger all through the night only to discover as the sun rose up over the hills that it was God all along. Or maybe like Moses and the Israelites, you can encounter God in burning bushes or pillars of fire and cloud or in lightning and smoke. See, for the ancient Hebrews, heaven was close and God was closer. He was a strange and bewildering part of their everyday life. They lived in a small and wonderful universe. But over the course of a thousand years, the Hebrews began to think about God differently and describe God differently. God goes from being a deity who walks around in a garden with human beings that he fashioned with his own hands to being this transcendent God who speaks from a distance and things come into being. As God became bigger and bigger in the Hebrew imagination, he seemed to drift further and further away until his ways became inscrutable and mysterious and his face became hidden to them. Far from being just behind a curtain of reality in a place called heaven, just on the other side of the sky, God was conceived of as much further up. See, the Hebrews of the first century simply knew too much about astronomy to think they were looking up and seeing angels at night. They knew the universe was vast and complex. They conceived of seven heavens, layers upon layers of worlds with their own heavenly bodies and classes of angels, and on top of which, in the seventh heaven, was God, who sat enthroned above it all and never came down. If God wanted to send a message to his people, he would do it through an angel. And if you wanted to send a message to God, you would have to rely on an angel to carry your prayers. The people had no contact with God. They relied on heavenly mediators. They also relied on earthly mediators. Long gone were the days where you could simply go up on a mountain and worship God at your own private altar. Mountaintop altars had been outlawed centuries ago. Now the only place God could be worshipped was at his temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you were a Hebrew male, you could get the closest. But even then, you were separated from God by layers of priests and doors and more priests and curtains. And all this was if you were lucky enough to live close to the temple. See, by the first century, Jews were spread out all over the world. The, mass, the vast majority of them had never seen the temple. They sang songs and heard stories about a God they rarely ever experienced directly. Over time, the God of the Hebrews had drifted further and further away from their reach until at last God was seven heavens away, reachable only by priests and angels, wanting nothing to do with us dirty little creatures down here. When I was a small child, I thought of and experienced God like an ancient Hebrew. My universe was wonderful and small, and God was near, 
frighteningly near, just on the other side of a doorway. See, I remember being six years old and being told by someone that the church was God's house. And I took that quite literally, as in my church that I went to was the place where God brushed his teeth in the morning and read his newspaper and walked his dog. My dad was the pastor of our small little country church. He had an office there, and I remember there was this door right next to his office that was always locked. Looking back, this door probably led to the boiler room. But all I knew was that there were these strange rumblings that would come from behind the door. And I knew that that was the door to God's room. I remember every time I passed the door, I would get really quiet. I would feel this strange sense of terror and awe of being so close to where God lives, just on the other side of that door. I don't know exactly what I pictured on the other side of the wall. Maybe a silver-haired old man in a robe, maybe fire and light. If I'm honest, probably Obi-Wan Kenobi from Star Wars in his force ghost form. I was six. What did I know about God? Lisa Simpson describes God as a force more powerful than mom and dad put together. That's probably all I knew as a child. I knew God was a force more powerful than my parents and that he was on the other side of that door. And at any moment, you could come walking out. But over time, as I got older, God seemed to drift further and further away from me, just as he did for the Hebrews. When I was six, God seemed incredibly close in the next room, but he also seemed small, a being something like us, something in some way capable of fitting behind a closed door. As I grew, so did my conception of God. I began to understand that God was the God of the entire world, that every church was somehow God's house. He still felt close. I could still pray to him at night and feel his presence during the day. But it was a prayer to a silent partner. It was the presence of an invisible God. I lost that sense that God could walk through the door at any minute. That sense of awe and dread became admiration and respect. Then came high school and college. I met people who worshipped radically different conceptions of God or who didn't worship God at all. I was exposed to philosophy and theology that made God seem less personal and more abstract. In classes, we use phrases like the ground of all being to describe God, whatever that means. Admiration and respect became questioning and doubt. And then as an adult, I got my heart broken a couple of times. I prayed for the thing and it didn't happen. I needed God close and comfort was nowhere to be found. Now God seemed remote and far away, and attentive and uncaring, questioning and doubt became anger and loneliness. Have you experienced the same trajectory in your life? Are you experiencing it now?
Maybe God feels far and remote from you, hidden behind seven layers of abstract thought and scar tissue. Maybe prayer feels like talking to yourself. Worship feels like singing songs that remind you of a way that you used to feel. Maybe listening to this sermon feels like being told a comforting fairy tale. Is God just something on the other side of the universe? Do you feel this vast and overwhelming sense of distance? Now, I hope you know I'm not trying to bum you out on a Sunday morning. I've been, uh, what I've been trying to do is accurately describe this feeling of distance that we all face at one time or another. Some of you have yet to face it. Some of you are experiencing it right now. Others have come out on the other side. The distance is real. I'm bringing this up because this spring we're reading through the book of Hebrews together. It's a strange little book. We're going to talk about all kinds of weird things. Angels, atonement rituals, obscure Bible characters that you've never heard of. But at the heart of the book is this problem of distance. The distance between humanity and God. The distance that we experience throughout our history and throughout our lives. We're going to talk about our strange need for mediators and our proclivity to put up even more barriers between ourselves and God. Now, we're not sure exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. but There are some clues in the opening passage. The author tells his readers, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors at various times and in various ways. Now, the phrase, our ancestors, tells us that the author is a first-century Hebrew talking to other first-century Hebrews. He is addressing the problem of the distance that they feel from God, and he's proposing a radical solution. So he continues, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. See, the book of Hebrews is about the distance we feel from God, but it's not just about that. It's also about the Son of God, this man called Jesus, and how he bridges the difference. The core message of the book of Hebrews is that in Jesus we have direct access to God. We don't need priests and angels to be mediators of God's presence. Because in Jesus, God is present with us here, on this side of the stars. Imagine you're that first century Hebrew we talked about a few minutes ago. You have stories of of your ancestors who seem to experience God directly, but you, you imagine God remote and far away, hidden behind seven heavens. You live a thousand miles away from the only place on earth that God can be worshipped. Imagine how these words would strike you. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. 
See, you're being told that to see and hear Jesus is to see and hear God. That the God who sits in throne way up there somewhere is accessible here in the person of Jesus. Now, the author spends several verses telling us that Jesus is superior to the angels and that he's seated at the right hand of God. Why? Well, the author wants to make clear that Jesus is enthroned right next to God, seven heavens away with all the angels below him. But the author goes on to say that we don't see angels anymore, let alone God who sits enthroned above him. Then he continues, but we do see Jesus, who is made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. See, the author of Hebrews is saying, we can know God who exists way up there because his exact representation came way down here, lower than the angels, this side of the stars. He lived among us and he died for us, and now he lives in us, making us holy. Then the author says, because we are made holy, we are made family. Listen to this. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Isn't that amazing? See, according to the author of Hebrews, in Jesus, God bridged the distance between us. And now we can know God as Jesus knows God as a loving and accessible father. Okay, that was the Cliff Notes version. In the coming weeks, we're really going to dig into the details. We're going to talk exactly about how Jesus' death bridges the distance. We're going to talk about atonement, what it is and how it works. We're going to talk about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, heavy stuff. But we're not going to get it all done in one morning. This morning, I just want to encourage you. If you're feeling distant from God, if it, if it seems like he's hidden behind seven layers of heaven and a whole lot of scar tissue, just want to encourage you to stick with us. We're not going to judge you. I'm not going to judge you. Many of us have been there. Some of us are there right now. It's okay. I've shared with you how I felt that distance from God in my own life. I know what it is to pray and to feel like you're talking to yourself. To sing hymns, to feel empty and numb. I know what it is to feel hurt and abandoned by God. I know what it is to feel like he's a billion miles away if he's there at all. I promise I won't judge you. Now, I rounded the corner about 10 years ago, and I've learned some things since then. I've, I've discovered a new way of thinking about and knowing God in Jesus Christ. I say new. It's a way that was taught 2,000 years ago by the author of a strange little book called Hebrews. We're going to unpack all of that in the next couple of weeks. One little sermon isn't going to get the job done. There's no cute little story I can tell in our remaining minutes together that will make the distance between you and God feel any less real.
I just want you to know there is hope that we will get to the other side of it and that we'll get there together. Several months ago, we buried Dorothy Chase. She was a dear member of our congregation here at Braggle Creek United Methodist Church. I miss her smile in the pews and visiting with her and hearing the stories of all her travels. But she has left many reminders of her presence behind. Every Sunday when I get up to preach at Bridal Creek, I look above the door and I see one of her paintings. It's a painting of Jesus standing on the other side of a doorway with his fist raised as if he's about to knock. It's a visual representation of that passage of Scripture from Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So that painting reminds me of my childhood spent running around the little country church, yelling and screaming with my little brothers. We pretended to be superheroes and with a basis in various Sunday school classrooms. But it also reminds me how it would occasionally grow quiet and reverent as I passed by that door because I knew that God was on the other side and that he might come walking out at any moment. Maybe this morning that can be enough for you. To know that the distance between you and God is not as great as it feels. He may feel hidden behind seven heavens, but he is really much closer. He is even now, all these years later, just on the other side of a doorway, knocking, waiting to be invited in. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.